Melina. Um, well, thank you again for coming this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, please turn to John chapter 20. Uh, we're going to uh, conclude our, our week-long emphasis on uh, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And I'm going to speak this morning on resurrection and mission. Resurrection and mission. Uh, Before I begin, let's uh, pray together one more time. Lord, you are alive, and that changes everything. It just, it changes everything. I pray today, Lord, that you would help us to see uh, how the fact that you are alive and well today changes the way we look at the world, changes the way we live our lives. Uh, And show us, Lord, how it empowers us, Lord, to step out in bold faith, obeying you, Lord, wherever you may call us to go. And so now, Lord, help us see you with the eyes of faith, his hands, his side, his feet. And know the power, Lord, of resurrection in our lives today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, If a man undeniably, irrefutably, rose from the dead, would you believe what he had to say about God? Now let's change the context a little bit. Let's say this same man, whom you have spent nearly every moment with for the past three years, and you have watched him uh, live his entire life, every deed he did, every word he spoke was done in perfect righteousness, You have seen him work innumerable miracles. You have seen him speak with supernatural authority. And then he died, and then he rose from the dead. And then he comes to you and says, here's what God is calling you to do. Would you do it? Would you do it? See, Jesus didn't just come just to do something for us, although he did. But he came to do something for us so that we could then go out and do something for others. In other words, his resurrection is deeply tied to our mission. And that's what I want to talk about today, resurrection and mission. So if you have a Bible and you're able and willing, please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. And we're going to read in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, this is is the day of the resurrection, the very day of the resurrection, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. 
And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The word of God. You may be seated. We're going to see three things from our text this morning. Three things. The peace of our mission, the primacy of our mission, and the power of our mission. The peace of our mission, the primacy of our mission, and the power of our mission. First, the peace of our mission. You know, when you read the gospel accounts about Jesus' resurrection from the dead, one of the very strong evidences of the resurrection is how foolish and unbelieving the disciples are not ashamed to present themselves to be when they relay the story of the resurrection. You see, if you were making up a religion, you would not write the the founding documents of said religion and make yourself look like a fool and an unbeliever, but that's what all the gospel accounts record. The disciples, despite what Jesus told them, were as shocked as anyone that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He was dead. He was in the tomb. They were in, they were in, the, they were in the room, and they locked the doors. And then some hysterical women show up and say, the tomb is empty. And they, and they don't believe. They're living in fear of the Jews. Well, Jesus, not deterred by a locked door, that same evening of his resurrection appears in the midst of his disciples. And he declares to them, peace. Peace be with you. Why did the disciples need peace? Well, of course, several reasons. First, they, have, they, they got the doors locked. They're afraid. They're afraid. And they need peace. Not just that, but as I said, they themselves were utterly shocked to see their friend, master, and lord show up from the dead in a locked room, alive and well. You would be shocked too if he showed up in your living room. They needed Peace. And Jesus comes and he says to them, Peace be with you. And then verse 20 it says, And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is validating, he is proving that he indeed has in fact risen, rose from the dead. And he wants to be in in in, in In several gospel accounts, he explicitly, he says, touch me. Touch my wounds. Put your hands in my side. Give me something to eat. Ghosts do not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. In other words, Jesus was not some kind of ethereal spirit when he rose from the dead. He was a living, breathing man whom you could talk to and have lunch with. He rose from the dead. And Jesus, in declaring peace to them and showing them his hands and his feet, what he is saying is that his resurrection is to be the source of their peace. 
the disciples were afraid and they were unbelieving. So they didn't have peace. Jesus Christ comes and he says, my resurrection destroys both fear and unbelief. Why? Because Jesus said, because I live, you also will live. If man can rise from the dead, then what have you to fear? What's the worst that the Jews could do to the disciples? Kill them? That didn't stop Jesus. And Jesus says, if you believe in me, it won't stop you either. And what else? They, were un- they, they did not believe. They didn't think he would rise from the dead. Well, his resurrection crushes unbelief. Why? Because he's right there. You can't not believe anymore. Well, let me tell you something. If you don't fear death... And if you un- unshakably believe in the promises of God, let me tell you something. What can stop you? What can you not do? If you believe in the resurrection from the dead and you believe God keeps his word. There's nothing you can't do. The resurrection is the source of our peace. It destroys fear. It destroys unbelief. And the peace of God changes everything. There are different kinds of peace the Bible speaks of. Different kinds of peace that Jesus is, is said to bring. I want to look at a few. First and most importantly, the kind of peace Jesus brings is peace with God. Jesus brings us peace with God. Romans 5 verse 1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the state of all humanity in our sin. That is that all of us, either consciously or unconsciously, look to heaven and in the attitude of our hearts say, not thy will be done, but my will be done. We declare God our enemy. We refuse to yield to his lordship. Now, let me, let me think about something for a minute. If you were a child and you had a father who you gave you everything, you never lacked for anything, you never wanted for anything, he guarded you, he protected you, he provided all your needs, but then every day when you walk into the house, you, you live as if he doesn't exist. You never talk to him. You never talk about him. You never thank him. You literally ignore him. You literally live your life exactly as you would, as if your father who has given you everything doesn't exist. Let me tell you something. You've made God your enemy. And God, in his patience, allows, in his patience, he still wakes you up every morning. He still feeds you every day. In his patience, he waits for you to repent. But one day, God's patience, the time will be up. And every day that you didn't give thanks to God for the food on your table and the breath in your lungs, you will give an account for it to him because he was patient. But you ignored him. God, the Bible says, we are his enemies. 
We have, made, we have declared him our enemy because we want to be the boss of our own life. And he has declared us enemies because he will not let sin go unpunished. My dear friends, the thing that we need more than anything in this world is peace with God. We need peace with God. And Jesus Christ has stepped into the gap between you and God. And he has paid the price of our rebellion so that in Christ we can wave the white flag of surrender to God and have no penalty. Because Jesus Christ has bore it on our behalf. Jesus came to bring us peace. And most importantly, peace with God. I beg you in Jesus' name, Don't walk out of that door not in peace with God. Jesus came to bring us peace with God, and he also came to bring us peace with others. Peace with others. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. That he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two and so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. Paul in Ephesians is talking about The unity that Jews and Gentiles now have because of Christ. If you want to talk about separation between peoples and barriers between nations, there was no greater barrier and division that existed between ethnic groups and cultures than between Jews and Gentiles. And God destroyed it through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. He came and he, and he broke down, it says, the dividing wall of hostility, the law of commandments, so that, that's what it says, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two. In other words, Jesus Christ comes and he demands that you yield your identity and anything else. Anything else that you claim as your supreme identity, even your ethnicity, your culture, whatever, it now surrenders to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is your supreme identity. Therefore, now, anyone who has Christ, no matter how different you are, no matter how different you think, no matter the culture you come from or the color of your skin, if you both have Jesus, you are eternal brothers and sisters in the Lord. He broke down the wall. And therefore, if you are in Christ, if there are still barriers between you and your brothers, then you are living a lie. Because Christ has torn down every barrier. That means you are lifting up something to a level that it shouldn't be. That should be surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. To separate you from other people. But Jesus Christ and the cross is the great leveler. Everybody, no matter who you are, through Christ must come to God as a sinner. And must come to God by the same means, by faith in Christ. And then we all become one in him, a new family, a new people. 
in Christ. So Christ gives us vertical peace with God, and then Christ gives us horizontal peace with each other. The final kind of peace I want to talk about that Jesus brings us is peace of conscience. Jesus brings us peace of conscience. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. If the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences from dead works to serve the living God? We live in a time and place that is... uh, the richest, most technologically advanced, most medically advanced culture, most uh, apparently sociologically, psychologically advanced culture, they think, in human history. And there's never been in more internal turmoil within the hearts of people as today. I'm telling you. There has never been more confusion about what it even means to be human, what it even means to be male or female. Things that should be crystal clear are, 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 are uh, clouded by so much fog by the world. And we're asking little kids to make decisions that they don't even understand because we're, asking, we're saying that things that are real don't exist. There's never been more confusion, more brokenness, more fear, more anxiety in the world. All this technology, all these things that's supposed to make us happy, there's never been more medication doled out in the human history. I'm telling you, people are not well. Jesus Christ came to purify our consciences. Christ comes and he sheds light in the fog. He sheds light into the darkness. He, he gives rock-solid truth that you can bank on in the midst of all your confusion. He tells the truth that the world all knows, but they try so desperately to cover up with false truths and medications. And the, the truth is, is that we are broken. But Christ has come to mend us. People try to get rid of all their guilt in so many different ways or to suppress their guilt of things they know they should be guilty for. And the world just tries to say, well, the problem with people is that, you know, people are blaming them for stuff and you're just making them feel guilty. No, you should feel guilty when you sin. But Christ comes and he pays the penalty for your sin so that you don't have to be guilty anymore. And when you receive Christ, he cleanses your consciousness, your conscience. He heals your brokenness. And so we can at the same time admit our own brokenness, but at the same time embrace the fact that in Christ we are holy and fully and unreservedly loved. And he purifies our minds and he gives us hope and he gives us truth to stand on. He clears away the fog of confusion and we can look directly to him and he makes us whole. The wholeness that so many people are desperately longing for, but don't know how to get, is found in Christ. So Jesus came to bring all these kinds of peace for for all the brokenness in our lives. And look at what John says 
in, in John, uh, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Look, think, of, think of the connection that Jesus is making here. He, he repeats it again. Peace. Peace be with you. And then what does he do? He gives them a commission. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. What's he saying? He's saying, he's saying that there's a profound connection between the peace God gives us and the mission God gives us. This is not the only place we see this in the Bible. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus commissioned his disciples to go proclaim the kingdom. And this is what he said. As you pro- and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Verse 12. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. What does it mean? It means God has given you peace so you can go give peace to others. That's what it means. It means God has given you peace with himself. God has given you peace with other people. God has given you peace in your soul so that you can go out and be agents of God's peace in a world that so desperately needs it. It's crying out for it. It's begging for it. And you are the agent of God's peace. Jesus told his disciples, peace be with you. And then he said, look, my hands, my side. Do you see it? You see his hands? You see his side? You can go give peace to others. You can go show other, you can show other people with your words and with your lives the risen Lord Jesus. And they too can have peace. It's what Jesus came to do. Isaiah prophesied of a child to be born. He said he would be the prince of peace. The very day Jesus was born, a bunch of poor shepherds out in the middle of nowhere, a heavenly choir appeared to them and sang a glorious song, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. We go and we give peace because God has given us peace. Resurrection and mission go together. So first, we see the peace of our mission. The peace of our mission, number two. The primacy of our mission. The primacy of our mission. Read verse 19 to 21 again. On the evening of, the first, of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. There are at least four what we call great commission passages in the Bible. In terms of the chronology of the biblical storyline, this is actually the first That is, the other uh, Great Commission passages in the Bible record Jesus giving them the commission to go and proclaim the gospel uh, before his ascension, shortly before his ascension back into heaven. But this one's different. John's is different. His uh, Great Commission passage is given the very same day of the resurrection itself. 
And of course, that commission would be made clearer to them over the next 40 days in which he would appear to them. But yet, in John, we see that at the very outset, the very day that Jesus rose from the dead, he was telling his disciples, you got a mission. You have a mission. That as the Father sent him, so he was sending them. What does this mean? It means that... Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and because of who we are in Christ, that the mission of God is not secondary or optional to the Christian life. The very first thing that Jesus told them is he says, I'm sending you. I'm sending you. He came to bring reconciliation to the world and now we are sent as agents of reconciliation to others. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. How then did the Father send Jesus so that we can learn how he is sending us? Well, let's see a few passages in the Gospel of John. John 3, verse 17. Jesus, uh, uh, John writes, for God did not send his Son into the world, did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Some Christians live as if it's their job to condemn the world. It's true. They just kind of stand over there and say, you're going to hell, and you're going to hell, and you're going to hell. That's not how God sent Christ. And that's not how God sent you. Jesus, God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You don't have to worry about people, you don't have to worry about people's condemnation. God will deal with it. God sees and judges way better than you do. God knows people's hearts way better than you do. You can be assured that God will not let a single sin go unpunished or a single act of righteousness done in faith for Jesus go unrewarded. Jesus will take care of it. You proclaim peace. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus was sent to be an agent of salvation. And so are we. John chapter 3, verse 34. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. People don't need your opinions. They need God's word. Jesus came and he explicitly, on numerous occasions, he says, my teaching is not my own. My words is not my own. I came not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Everything Jesus did was in conscious obedience to God the Father. And in the same way, we are sent by him to speak God's words. And look, look, he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. Read your Bibles carefully. What will you see? There is an indestructible connection between the word of God and the spirit of God. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God for salvation. When you speak God's word into people's lives, the spirit comes and makes it powerful. Let 
That's why we speak God's word. There is a connection between God attends his word with his spirit and makes it powerful and effectual. Next, John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus was sent. Why? So that through him, people would know God. That's why he was sent. And that's the essence of us being sent. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, if you receive me, you receive the one who sent me. If we go and we hold up to people the Lord Jesus Christ, they come to know God the Father through us, through Christ. We become God's agents. We become the, the uh, Jesus says the church is the body of Christ. We are his physical representation in the world. And as they see Christ in us, they know God through him. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and faithfulness to God's to the Father's purpose, demands that we go and do likewise. On the very day of his resurrection, he said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. So we see the peace of our mission, the primacy of our mission, finally. The power of our mission. The power of our mission. Verse 21 again. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So, uh, these verses are a little cloudy, and there's debate over what they mean. I'm not going to try to explain them fully here, but But what is Jesus doing? He breathed on the disciples and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, it's clear in other other passages of the Bible and the gospel accounts and Acts that the, the disciples did not receive the Holy Spirit until Pentecost. So what is Jesus doing? I think what Jesus is doing is that he is he is enacting a prophecy. He is enacting a parable that is, is prophesying about the future coming of the reception of the Holy Spirit. And actually, it's, it's, it's actually not uncommon or surprising. A typical way that a Jewish prophet would foretell something is he would enact it out. So in Ezekiel chapter 4, for example, God tells Ezekiel to take a brick and write on it the name of Jerusalem and set up seeds works Against the brick. Well, what does it represent? It represented the future destruction of Jerusalem. In in the book of Acts, uh, a prophet named Agabus comes up to Paul and takes Paul's belt and ties up his hands and says, this is what's going to happen to you. In other words, they're enacting out something that's going to happen in the future. I think Jesus, of course, he is more, he is not, uh, he's more than a prophet, but he's not less than a prophet. He's the greatest prophet. He is proclaiming to the disciples what's about to happen. And he is telling them, 
that their reception of the Holy Spirit is going to be like God breathing on them. I want you to think about what Jesus is trying to say here. I don't think Jesus did anything without a purpose and without deeper meaning if we're willing to look. There's a... the. Uh, there was a, there's a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And it was, it, was, it was not uncommon for Jews in Jesus' day and in Paul's day that if they were Greek-speaking Jews, instead of reading the Hebrew Old Testament, they spoke Greek, they would read the Septuagint, which is an, a, a translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. And so they read it in Jesus' day, and sometimes that was the Bible that they would use. John's word, when he says that Jesus breathed on them, it's the same word that's used in the Septuagint, the same Greek word, when it says that God breathed the breath of life into Adam. It's the same word that's used in the Septuagint when God tells Ezekiel, call to the four winds, call to the breath... And say, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these dry bones. And make them alive. And then Jesus, he breathes on the disciples. And says, receive the Holy Spirit. What's Jesus saying? He's saying that when you receive the Holy Spirit... You are being remade by God into true humanity. The, we lost, in essence, the breath of life when we fell away from God in our sin. And by the Holy Spirit, God is breathing real life back into us again. Jesus said, I came that you may have life. And that abundantly. The reception of the Holy Spirit is God making us alive Again. And notice here the proximity of Jesus sending the disciples out on mission and telling them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about this. In every Great Commission text where God sends his disciples out telling them to proclaim the gospel, everyone, there's a reference to them receiving the Holy Spirit. Why do you think that is? Because God knew that in view of such great a commission, we would immediately say it can't be done. And God, in every case where he tells you to go, says, I will be with you. He says, I will be with you to the end of the age. In Acts, in Luke chapter 24, when he tells them to go, he says, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you and stay in the city until you were clothed with power from on high. In Acts 1.8, it says, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We have been given power by God. We don't have to be afraid to proclaim the gospel because we've been given power by God. You tell me. We went out, we went out uh, to knock on doors yesterday to invite people to church. And let me tell you something. When I wake up on, on mornings and stuff when, and go to stuff like that, I'm not thinking, man, I just, rarely do I think I just can't wait to get out there. I'm a little hesitant. 
But the Bible says we've been given power, and either we have or we haven't. You say, I don't feel very powerful. Well, let me tell you something. You might not feel very powerful because you might have never tested your strength. This is what I mean. I know I'm going over time, but I'm going to give you this illustration. There was a time not too long ago when I exercised. And, um, and with some men, and I've never, I've never really hit, lifted weights before, but with this group of men back in Auburn, I actually consistently lifted weights for some amount of time. And so we're bench pressing. You know, again, I've never really lifted weights before. I've never uh, uh, much. And so we're going, and uh, it, it's a max day. We're going to see how much we can lift. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try 195. I'm going to try 195. And everyone's like, man, just go for 200. Just go for 200. I'm like, you know, I, you know, I have kids. I'm not trying to hurt myself, you know. <laughs> I'm just like, look, there's no point in pushing it harder than you have to. I don't, I don't care if I hit 200 or not. They're like, no, 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 no. You should go for 200. I'm like, no, I'm not. Just uh, 195, I'm going to try 195. Well, you know, you, get, you lay down on the bench, and then you got your man, like whatever, you psych yourself up kind of thing. <laughs> All right? And, um, and I, I, they, help, they help me unrack it, and then I go, and I hit it. And I'm like, yeah, 195. And everyone's kind of looking around. And I'm like, you guys added weight where I wasn't looking, didn't you? <laughs> they had added five extra pounds, and I, and I hit 200. I would have never known if I could hit it if I never tried it. You might not know the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you because you've never tried it. Why don't you try it? And see the power of God come out of you. The Spirit that lives in you if you believe in Jesus Christ. Test your strength. Share the gospel. That's what every time he tells us to go, he says, I will be with you. And so what have we seen today? We have seen the peace of our mission, the primacy of our mission, and the power of our mission. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and that changes everything. That's why we go. That's why we speak. That's why we give to the Annie Armstrong offering and any other offering. That's why we do what we do, because we've been empowered by God, and we have been sent by him as agents of peace and reconciliation in the world. We're going to close in just a moment.